Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, February 24, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I suppose we'll start with the return of the Baylor Bears. They played Tuesday night for the first time in 21 days. In that time span, I went from a half-vaccinated man to a fully vaccinated man. Shouts to Pfizer. And if you were expecting Terry Teagle's alma mater to look sharp right out of the gate... You should have lowered your expectations because they did not look sharp. They didn't guard like they've guarded much of this season. They didn't make shots like they've made shots much of this season. They were down 17 points in the first half to an Iowa State team that's winless in the Big 12. It was bad. Bill Henderson would not approve. Rest his soul. But ultimately, Jared Butler got going. Adam Flagler got going. Baylor avoided the upset. Final score, Bears 77, Cyclone 72. Baylor improved to 18-0 overall, 10-0 in the Big 12. Dead leg, I know you had your eyes on it. What would you make of Baylor's return to the sport after a three-week absence? Well, I had my eyes on it eventually. Um, as I watched in my office and brought up uh, brought up ESPN, uh, my ESPN Plus wasn't working exactly right. I got it on my computer about, I don't know, 10 minutes into the first half or whatever, and... Yeah, Iowa State was up big, and I was like, uh, "This is probably going to be okay, right?" And then it was, it was, it was close throughout the entire game. There, Baylor pulled it out. Um, I don't know if I'm too concerned. Uh, you know, they only had two practices before this game. Now, Iowa State is terrible. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, if and if not for Adam Flagler, I don't know if Baylor wins the game. He had a he had a wonderful performance there and hit some big shots, but. Um, what it did do was it it brought Baylor's uh, efficiency margin way down. I mean, it, it's it's Gonzaga has now run away from the pack uh, at this point at Ken Palm there. But eighteen and zero, best start in program history. Next game is going to be at Kansas on Saturday. Uh, I, you know, I'll I'll reserve judgment on whether Baylor has really lost something, uh, depending on how it plays in that road game, which obviously it's capable of both winning and losing. Uh, we'll get to KU in a little bit there, but. You know, it it's it certainly just it was an interesting Tuesday night in college basketball with upsets, games closer than we might have expected, and I wasn't anticipating to have to really lock in on Cyclones Bears, but lock in I did, and they wound up uh, getting a getting a win that they didn't secure until the fortieth minute. Yeah, for people who maybe weren't paying attention on Tuesday night, and obviously the Tiger Woods news uh, dominated the news cycle, it, it was a pretty wild night in the sport. Um, Michigan State upset Illinois. Kansas State upset Oklahoma. Um you know, Texas got past Kansas in a competitive game. Georgia Tech upset Virginia Tech. Ole Miss upset Missouri. But clearly the, the biggest um, upset had it, happened would have been Iowa State over Baylor. Um, I never really thought, even when they were down, I guess when they were down 17, I was like, okay, this could get complicated. But I, I I was like, let's just wait and see what it looks like in the second half. And they had cut that deficit to, I believe, five at halftime. At that point, I assumed they would probably run away with it. They didn't do that. But as the game was, you know, going – you know, 10 minute mark, five minute mark. I still like, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I'm just going to assume Baylor's going to get out of this one way or another. Um, but, but Iowa State like really pushed him. Tyler Harris, my little homie from Memphis, he made five three pointers, finished with a team high 22 points. So they scared him. But afterwards, you know, Scott Drew, I, I think Jordan sort of assessed things properly. He said, um, look, we're excited to win. We're excited to be back playing. And, um, you know, being off for three weeks, it, it, it it, it affects your team. And he said subsequently that he's talked to a lot of coaches who have been through long pauses. Like, you know, what else was he going to do when he couldn't practice with his team? So he's, you know, he said, I talked to other, like, what should I expect? What should I do? And he said that most coaches told him it's going to be about three games before 
you're back to where you were. Now, that's not true across the board. Gonzaga was off 17 days once, came back, blasted Iowa, won by double digits. So there is um, an example of somebody sort of picking up right where they left off. But I think what Scott said is, is mostly true for maybe everybody or nearly everybody except Gonzaga. When you're off for that extended period of time, it's going to take you a minute and it's why one of the points I had made last week when Baylor's schedule, when it became known, Baylor's returning on Tuesday and it will play Iowa State, I was like, this is perfect because you you could play poorly probably and still avoid a loss if your opponent is Iowa State. And that more or less is, is what happened on Tuesday night. They played poorly. They didn't look like themselves, but they avoided the loss. Keep it moving. Yep, and still uh, Baylor didn't have three players available, uh, obviously due to COVID reasons, because no other reason was given. So well, it's not that hard to uh, to deduce that. The the one player of note was Jonathan Chamo Chachua, who uh, Everyday John, who has been a, a very important piece to Baylor, and I think he's uh, he's the kind of uh, big that really makes them uh, a well rounded team and gives them a really good shot at winning a national championship there. So know him either. Um, and and Baylor, uh, it gets the win. Just a quick a quick side note um, on Iowa State. It's now two and seventeen. Its only wins have come against HBCUs opener against Arkansas Pine Bluff, and then uh, the week of Christmas it beat Jackson State. Noah, it, it's lost every every other game aside from that. I mean, this is this is going to be one of the worst seasons in the history of of Iowa State basketball. Uh, just you know, let's. Let's uh, hazardly speculate here. I don't think Steve Prohm will get fired, but the record is so bad that I guess it has to enter in. Um, he's got a pretty good AD. He's done a pretty good job, Parrish. To this point, he's made three NCAA tournaments. Would not have gone last season, so it's two bad years in a row, and this is an all-time low. Um, we have Iowa State fans that listen to the podcast. I have Iowa State fans that reach out to me on a weekly basis, kind of commenting or questioning about Prohm's job status. Uh, so this this will probably be the only time we talk about the, the Cyclones unless there's a job change until next season. Um, I don't anticipate a job change. Do you? I don't. Um, I actually talked to somebody about this this weekend. And what I was told was, and the Iowa State AD is Jamie Pollard, um, that he does not want to fire Steve Prohm. He likes Steve Prohm, and he thinks Steve Prohm is good. And Steve Prohm, to your point, has been good. He I mean, went to the NCAA tournament three times in his first four years after replacing a legend. That's not easy. And, uh, you know, made a Sweet 16 in, in that first year, won a game in that second year. You're right, finished um, next to last in the Big 12 last season, and uh, it appears going to finish last in the Big 12 this season. That's not good, but I think he probably gets another year. What's interesting is that um, I had speculated very early um, in the process after Greg Marshall was removed at Wichita State that maybe maybe Wichita State would be a, you know, a parachute out mm-hmm. for Steve because he – even if he's back next season, he's under an incredible amount of, of job pressure. Yes. Um, and like, you know, he, he, he cannot survive another bad season. I think even he would tell you that. So if you could get the Wichita state job and just sort of, cause he has a previous relationship with the Wichita state AD, could you, I mean, that'd be a brilliant landing spot. Not unlike, I didn't even, as I was about to say, this didn't recognize it was the same school, but when Greg McDermott, parachuted out of Iowa State yeah. to get the Creighton job. It would be a very similar situation. The problem is we don't know if the Wichita State job is going to actually open. He and, can't get that job now. It's they've been well, too bad. I don't think I just think that, what, yeah. Right. I agree. I don't know that I don't know how if you're the Wichita State AD particularly if even if Isaac Brown doesn't win the AAC, he's going to overachieve relative to preseason expectations. How do you not hire that guy, but then go hire somebody who just went winless in the Big 12? When you combine it with the racial component, you got big problems. So, I, I yes, I'm with you. I don't think Steve – I think Steve is back at Iowa State. I don't think Wichita State presents itself as an opportunity. And then he'll enter next season, um, you know, probably listed as number one on most people's hot seat list. You know, either do the job well or you won't have the job – past March 2022. Agreed. Um, last on a Baylor, uh, it's next two games are scheduled to be at Kansas and at West Virginia. So, uh, you know, 
anyone would love to have an undefeated regular season, no matter the circumstances around it. And certainly uh, the pandemic and pauses, frankly, probably uh, make the scale even more difficult here. Um, but you know, Baylor's got to have a it better have some good practices here because I know what Kansas did on, on Tuesday night. And we'll get to that in a second. But uh, if it plays like that against Kansas, it's going to lose by double digits. So the Big 12 messed around with its schedule on Tuesday. I'm going to let Norlander explain what happened and why it happened next. But first, some words about LinkedIn jobs. Well, GP, 2021 is looking up. You you are a fully vaccinated man right now. And new beginnings means new opportunities to grow your business. If part of your strategy is adding new members to your team, LinkedIn jobs finds the right person quickly. To make things better, your first job post is free. LinkedIn makes it extremely easy to navigate job postings and get your job out in front of thousands of potential qualified candidates. Post a job with targeted screening questions and LinkedIn will get you quickly into that role in front of more qualified candidates. Manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com as functions are streamlined onto one simple screen. And now you can do this all from your mobile device no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. And now you can post a job for free. Just visit LinkedIn.com slash I. Again, that's LinkedIn.com slash I-E-Y-E to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So the Big 12 messed around with its schedule on Tuesday, added some games, removed some games. Norlander, you reported on it. Walk us through what happened and why it happened. All right. So all right. So I got some word on Monday that there was going to maybe be some shifting with the Big 12 schedule, and I didn't know much more at that point. Then I got another fairly random text on Tuesday in addition to a phone call that said that the Baylor-West Virginia game was going to get pushed at minimum and that there was no COVID issues with either team. Um, So I dug into it a little bit more and I learned that the Big 12 was indeed going to push that Baylor-West Virginia game. Um, It was just a matter of if it would get pushed by a couple of days or moved to the next week or canceled altogether. So I report this out and oh my God. The amount, first of all, like I, I do try and truly make a habit not to check my app mentions, but the amount of Baylor's ducking West Virginia crossfire, I mean, I've got ongoing, I've, I've muted 70 accounts, like just stuff <laughs> I don't care about whatsoever. And the reality is Baylor wasn't ducking West Virginia. In fact, Baylor lost its home game to West Virginia, and now we'll have to go play at West Virginia next week. I'll give you the schedule in just a second here. I just thought it was hilarious considering, like, Baylor wanted to play Gonzaga, and it could not do it in any non-conference fashion after that game got canceled because the Big 12 said, you have to play all of your league games. We're not letting you play Gonzaga in the middle of January, even if you want to. So I just found it funny, this idea that, because here's the thing, and I wasn't aware of this. I I can't track all this stuff, Paris. Maybe you had picked up on it. I didn't realize this, but because of postponements and cancellations, Baylor not only has only played as of last night now 10 uh, Big 12 games, whereas Kansas is going to wrap up its league schedule this weekend. Um, it's also just happened to miss games against uh, really good teams in the league and potentially road games. So it's, it's, I guess from a scheduling perspective, it's been fortunate to this point. I mean, it didn't want to go on pause. So because of this, a lot of fan bases around the uh, conference are – generally annoyed at Baylor and want to put an asterisk on Baylor winning the Big 12 championship and all this stuff. It's wild, wild, wild stuff there. So so all that went down. Here's what I was told. The Big 12 knew that it had to make up all these games, and it doesn't have enough time to make up all the games that it needs to make up. So it basically spent the previous 72 hours figuring out how to best determine, all right, which games did we lose? How do we, as fairly as possible, get these games in between these teams in ways that don't give teams extreme advantages or disadvantages? So no team forced to play four games in seven days, four games in eight days, five games in 10 days kind of deal if it can be avoided. No teams uh, be put on the road for, say, four straight road games or get the benefit of four straight home games. And so there were certain matchups that they 
would have preferred to have that they should they cannot have because they had to find some sort of balance within all of that. And so finally we arrive at where we arrive, and here are the matchups for next week that are interesting. And by the way, Baylor is now loaded up on the back end. I mentioned the two road games. It did not get out of this. Like it's got to now. It doesn't get West Virginia at home. It's got to go to West Virginia. It's got to go to Kansas. Monday it's going to be Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State got the toughest of all of this. By the way, that's the Monday game. Tuesday the big one is Baylor at West Virginia. Um, there's a couple other ones that really aren't that significant. Thursday of next week, you will have Oklahoma State at Baylor, and you'll also have Texas at Oklahoma. And then next weekend, you'll have Oklahoma State at West Virginia. OSU getting that win earlier in the week was big-time stuff for, against Texas Tech because it's got the resume to get in, and it's it's really up against it coming up here. Um, that's going to be next weekend, and then Texas Tech will play at Baylor next Sunday. So for the, for the team that matters most, Baylor, it now has games at Kansas, at West Virginia, will host a good Oklahoma State team, and then is scheduled to close its regular season at home against Texas Tech. If Baylor's going to truly wind up undefeated, it's going to have earned it. So that's all of it, you know, from a scheduling perspective. In a nutshell, the one other detail I'll share with you, Parrish, is this kind of thing is happening in in other leagues to lesser degrees, the Mountain West for one, but even in other conferences. And coaches are not comfortable with this idea, even though they're losing the battle. Um they're not comfortable with this idea of now we're going to try and cram in all of these games and then we're going to go play our league tournament. And if we get to like, say the semis at minimum, we're going to have X X amount of games in a, in a condensed window. And there could be increased COVID risk maybe, but also just general health of the players. Like after having a little bit of a rhythm, even with starts and stops, now you're going to ask them to play five, six, seven games in two weeks time or so. There's just a little bit of resistance to that saying, let's not, you know, overexert ourselves, but the Big 12 coaches clearly lost this battle as there were major scheduling redoings, and uh, we might see that in a couple other leagues in the next few days as well. I had one coach suggest to me, like, um, so the Big 12's got all these games they've got to fit in, and they're running out of time. Why wouldn't you consider, at least consider, where is the Big 12 tournament this season? KC. Okay. Why wouldn't you just go to Kansas City a week early? Take everybody there. And just eliminate travel over the next week and just, hey, you can play every other day. No problem. You can play two and three. No problem. Like rather than bounce around the country trying to fit these games in, just go and everybody's coming to Kansas City anyway. Just bring them all to Kansas City a week early and let them play and then create a, a schedule where you're playing all day long every day. And you can play two at two games in three days, three games in four days, whatever. Like, why wouldn't you consider that? I got to admit, I don't hate the idea. In fact, I like it even more if you could, and this won't happen, Parrish, but if you were to do that and then uh, just kind of go right into the Big 12 tournament and, right. try, and, try, and try and end earlier, but that's not going to happen with the TV stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't hate that idea at all. I, I don't know if the Big 12 discussed it or not, but it, it seems like you would potentially allow yourself just as much success as this other route with all this... With all of this travel, I mean, there are still plenty of coaches privately who aren't even thrilled about the idea of what you're presenting in terms of going to one spot, all these games in one site, and then, you know, potentially potentially with COVID stuff. That's all out there. But I can't say that it's any worse of an idea than what they're currently doing. I mean, I... I, I, I don't know. The scheduling stuff is just... Again, I'm getting flashbacks. It's, it's a total mess right now. Um, you mentioned Baylor's adjusted efficiency margin earlier, now down to plus 33.00. It's still second best in the country, but significantly behind Gonzaga's and just uh, 2.41 points better than Michigan's. Um, the byproduct of that is that there was a time, um, maybe as recently as two days ago, when Kim Palm did project Baylor to finish the regular season undefeated it no longer does it does project Baylor to be a favorite in every remaining game but it does expect them the Bears to lose somewhere along the way do you think the Bears lose somewhere along the way I do I you got to be with me on this right I mean at Kansas at West Virginia call the when call the game at home against Oklahoma State a win and then close out against uh, a Texas Tech team that's got a weak 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 resume um relatively speaking I I just it feels like they're going to get picked off, but I also feel like I'm, I might be overreacting to what we just saw Tuesday night. 
But it's a good league, Parrish. And I've always maintained Baylor was going to take a loss. So I'm not really stepping off of what I've previously thought. I always thought they were going to take at least one L considering the league they were in. And I assume that you're with me on this now. That is disrespectful. Oh, God. <laughs> that is disrespectful. All right. If you hold on. This is Bill Henderson coached here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he ever went undefeated. So if anything, they're going to honor Bill Henderson by taking an L before the season's over. If you actually think that Baylor, let's, can we get a playful wager on this then? If, if you're going to believe it, if you're going to say it, I want something behind this. No losses before the Big 12 tournament. Now, I'm not even extending it to Selection Sunday. I'm saying before the Big 12 tournament. What do you want to wager? That's what I'm saying. Zero okay. losses. You're being disrespectful. All right, how about this? How about this? How about, I got it. I got you. The loser has to... Uh, you know, we, we're talking about how we love Chicago deep dishes. It has nothing to do with Texas, but I don't care. Loser has to buy and and ship Chicago deep dish pizza to the winner's house. Like, okay. as soon as okay. possible. Okay, but the odds are against me. I'm on the wrong side of this, statistically <laughs> speaking. So, here's the... You have to send two to me, and I got to send one to you. Deal. Deal. You're being, you're being disrespectful to take this bet. You're, ta- you're being disrespectful to Kelly Drew... First Lady of Baylor Basketball, Scott Drew, McKenzie, Peyton, and Brody. Oh, God. Not to mention Homer and Janet, Bryce and Tara. Bryce doesn't care. Dana and her husband, Casey, and Bryce and Anna, Isaiah, Caleb, and Luke. Plus, Drew Barrymore, Drew Carey, Drew Brees, Drew Bledsoe, Dr. Drew, Drew Gooden, Drew McIntyre, basically every Drew. You're being disrespectful to every Drew except for Drew Timmy. Except for Drew Timmy. Drew McGarry didn't want any of that. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead and and ride. I just, it's too much. No, they're, they're going to lose one. They're going to lose one. Pizza. So Dig it. what is Kansas going to do for the next week? Do you think they'll try to get an, uh, That's a great a, question. an game? I, I, I don't know. Um, That's wild that Kansas is just wrapping up things on Saturday. Yeah. And I, listen, I'm sure that might be news to non-Kansas fans listening to the podcast here. But, uh, yeah, Kansas has played 17 league games. Uh, it needs one more at home, Baylor, Saturday, and then it's just chilling. Um, if you're Bill Self, do you try and squeeze in a game there? It's, it's an, it's especially like, do you squeeze it? If like, if Baylor comes into your house and beats you and you're 17 and nine, do you try and, and get one more game? Maybe you do. I, that'll be something to, to keep an eye on real quick, by the way, it's just been an, it's been an interesting past couple of days for the big 12 in general. I mean, Kansas gets swept by Texas for the first time ever to be fair. And I did have a coach hit me up after I sent this tweet on Tuesday night saying, uh, your stat is faulty. They've only played, you know, twice a season for a decade. So it's not like Texas and Kansas have been playing since the 50s twice. It's fair, but it is nonetheless true. Texas won two regular season games against Kansas this season. That's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, Kansas has returned the favor, by the way, and swept Texas seven times in the past uh, decade there. But a loss, nevertheless, in overtime on the road for KU, um, I thought that was an absolutely necessary win for Texas. Uh, Kansas gets its five-game win streak snapped. Your general outlook on the Jayhawks is pretty much um, bared out to be true over the past two and a half weeks. Uh, two and a half weeks, GP for Texas, it's now, and this is what you know. This is what the Big Twelve wanted to avoid, but I guess it just couldn't with with UT in particular. That was its like Texas played its final home game of the season on Tuesday night. It's at Texas Tech, at Iowa State, at Oklahoma, at TCU. Like, it's going to probably lose at least two more times before Selection Sunday, at least once in the regular season, and then probably once in the Big 12 tournament. Um, so I thought that was critical, because Texas hadn't had a, a legitimate win against an NCAA tournament team since January 9th against West Virginia. Um, you know, don't know if you had any short thoughts on that game, but it was certainly an interesting one, and Texas rallied after being down. I just thought it was a great sign, considering the way Texas lost over the weekend. We talked about the whole... Ramey, Andrew Jones thing, Bill has mentioned on the broadcast last night, they seem to be good. In fact, on the whole, I mean, Texas got 15 points from Ramey, and Jones had his first double-double ever, uh, 13 points, 10 boards. So I thought on the whole, Texas actually uh, did pretty well for itself in that spot. Yeah, Texas, um, like you said, had not won a significant game in a while. I know the Longhorns were favored. Uh, to beat Kansas at home, I thought Kansas was going to win the game uh, with the way Kansas had been playing. Now, some of it was against bad competition, but C.J. Moore at The Athletic had a, a nice story yesterday on the way Kansas 
adjusted midseason and started guarding ball screens and that in that five game winning streak they had just put together they um had had allowed fewer points per possession than any team in the country and it was actually the 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 best um the best five game span against high major competition that any team in the country had had at any point in this season. And so I was like, all right, well, that's interesting. And now, uh, you know, Kansas, I, I thought Kansas was winning the game. Now they still guarded. Well, you know, the Texas only shot 37.7% from the field and 19.2% um, from, from three, but, but Kansas just did not score enough to win. So I was a little, just slightly surprised by that outcome, but it doesn't make me any more concerned uh, about the Jayhawks. It doesn't make me reconsider, um, you know, what I was saying on Sunday night's podcast or at any point over the past month. I think this is a very good, a good to very good Kansas team that lacks the talent to be great. But if they ended up in the final four, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. Couple more quickies on the on this league. Oklahoma took a weird loss against Kansas State uh, on Tuesday night. Did you see the note that our editor dropped in Slack on on K State? I was uh, I was on the big green egg last night. I, I wasn't paying attention to Slack that much. You were on the big green egg. Boy, you know, I tuned we, in. Uh, I tuned into Ion, uh, Inside College Basketball. You weren't on. I thought I was going to be watching you. No, I'm going to be on tomorrow night. I'll be on Thursday night and also all day Saturday. But I was uh, uh, not uh, required. My attendance was not required last night. So, I mean, dude, it was 70 degrees here yesterday. After we after having an, uh, seven inches of snow last week, 70 degrees here yesterday. So we got we put stakes on the big green egg. What happened in Slack? I got a trivia time for you then. Okay. If you actually didn't see this, then you're not going to guess it. All right, how about this? K-State, which yep. beat Oklahoma on Tuesday night. Bruce Weber's hair flow, by the way. just Dude, dude you tweeted that last night, and I swear to God, on all <laughs> of my kids' lives, when watching that game, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, man, Bruce's <laughs> hair looks good. That's a good. Bruce's hair looks great. It's just never go back, Bruce. I'm just amazing, right? Like he's got. So he's. I just. I just hadn't. I didn't know he yeah. had it in him. So I was on the big green egg. I had the. I had the Apple TV four box up there, uh, out, outside. So I'm cooking steaks and looking at Bruce Weber's hair. It's a hell of a night last night. Just a great. Those. Those. By the way, like all thumbs down on those uniforms for K State, though, right? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I don't dig that. Come on now. What the like the fact that you win in those uniforms is amazing. Uh, look good, feel good, and all that stuff. Okay, so Kansas State is the first team in almost thirty years to pull off this. This is wild. It it beats a top ten opponent, and in the same season, it also has a loss to a Division two school. Now, first of all, mini trivia time. Do you remember the team they lost to? We talked about it very briefly on the podcast. You won't remember it. I don't remember it, but but what? Here's something I do remember. I did see this in Slack last night. <laughs> oh God. I just rem- I just I just remembered seeing it in Slack. I thought you were on the egg. I was on the egg, but I did it. You know, I had my computer as well. We All were right. uh, we were we had we had uh, the fire pit going. So my little guys were making s'mores. I was on the egg. Had the four box on the screen by the by the big green egg. Had my computer out there. That must have been when I saw this in Slack. Yeah. And then at one point, I run inside real quick to just grab something, come back outside. My little guy is got a, a flaming marshmallow. He's trying to burn my computer. Okay. He's burning the corner of, of my MacBook. I'm like, Lou, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you burning my computer? And then he tried to say he wasn't. That's, your, like, own, that's just, your own just, fault for leaving your children around a fire Without any supervision. Not surprised <laughs> even a little bit. Not even a I was, little. I was gone for seven seconds, yep. and my computer was being arsoned. It was Fort Hayes State. There we go. So, all right, this, so this does not count as a trivia time for the, for the listener that tracks this uh, season long. This is wild. So, K-State loses to a D2 team in the same season. It beats a top-10 team. Last time that happened, 1993-94, Wake Forest uh. beat... 
I don't even know who because that's not that wasn't included here. But its loss was to Alaska Anchorage when the Great Alaska Shootout was still very much a thing. Ninety three, ninety four. So good on good on uh, K State for pulling that off. And that's just a that's a good little nugget there. I love those nuggets. So, um, and I do miss the Great Alaska Shootout. By the way, uh, you know, that, I I thought one time the only way, the, probably the only way I'll ever end up in Alaska would have been to go to yeah. the Great Alaska Shootout. I think I think that ship, as they say, has sailed. I don't think I'll ever be there. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, all right, last thing on the Big Twelve, then we can then we can move along here. Uh, West Virginia got a win after it got it got a competitive game on the road against TCU. It gets out of Texas with two wins. Uh, beat Texas on Saturday, beats TCU, and then uh, just on Monday night, Oklahoma State. It got a win. It's third straight in OT at home against Texas Tech. Uh, that puts Oklahoma State into lock status as far as I'm concerned. It still has to have three, it has three road games at Oklahoma, at Baylor, at West Virginia. I just think it's done enough at this point that it's going to get in. Uh, we've mentioned this multiple times on the pod. We don't need to you know do it again, but I did tweet it out. Uh, at this point, just as long as the NCAA doesn't decide to rule on Oklahoma State's case with that postseason ban and the appeal that's ongoing, then the Cowboys and Kate Cunningham are going to be in the NCAA tournament. I do expect that to be the case there. But uh, between that and that win, I thought that was a, a pretty big outcome for the Cowboys. And it also just put Texas Tech's seed projection in some in some trouble. Three straight losses. Uh, now, TTU gets the benefit. It's the opposite of Texas. It has three home games remaining. So it can do some more here. But right now, I think people are finally coming around to what I've been tracking uh, you know, for, for a long time. Like Texas Tech, just it's, it's four and seven in quad one. Uh, it doesn't have a quad two win. I just think that its resume is iffy. I would put it as a six at absolute best right now. I had Texas Tech out of the top 25 and one even before the loss to Oklahoma State. Obviously, they slipped further in my rankings after that. I, I don't think I would have them as a six seed right now. I would lean more towards seven or even eight. Like they, they've won some games, um, but, but they've, you know, they, they've, they're below 500 in the first two quadrants at this point. Like the resume is, is not great. And I'm with you, Oklahoma State. I've got them in the top 25 and one now. Um, and and there is no there's no reason. I don't know if you saw Pat Forty tweet this after you and I were tweeting about it on I guess Monday night, but Pat um, referenced something he had written earlier in the month. Basically, if you look at the time frame, there is no precedent whatsoever for for the NCAA to rule on Oklahoma State at this point in the season, given how few days there are between now and Selection Sunday, uh, unless they fall apart. Right, uh, Oklahoma State's going to be in the NCAA tournament. I would agree. Now, now, will they be in the 2022 NCAA tournament? Uh, I know. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll have that conversation another day. But I do think they're going to be in the 2021 NCAA tournament. Since we last recorded, Duke and Michigan State have both added quality victories. Does either or both have real at-large hopes? Now we're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So since we last recorded, Duke and Michigan State have both added quality victories. Duke beat Syracuse 85-71 on Monday night. Then Michigan State upset Illinois 81-72 on Tuesday night. Deadleg, I told you on Sunday that if Duke went 2-0 this week, the Blue Devils would be in the projected field come next Sunday. I'm not sure if you believe me then. You seem to you seem a bit skeptical. Do you believe me now? Um no, I don't think that. Oh, well, okay, no. I'll 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 change that answer. You're saying they would be in the projected field with two wins. That I would agree with. But I don't think that beating Louisville this upcoming weekend is going to get Duke to where it's in a you know an extremely safe spot. I would disagree on that. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm never used the word safe. Yeah, I'm just saying that when when Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi and anybody else who does a bracket, Mike DeCourcy, updates their bracket mm -hmm. 
after this upcoming weekend's games, if Duke beats Louisville, Duke will be in the field. All right, fair enough. And now let's talk about Duke versus Michigan State here because I think we do disagree. A genuine, honest, respectful disagreement. Michigan State beats Illinois on Tuesday night. I look down at my phone. I've got a text from a second assistant inside a mid-major conference saying, I don't know if Michigan State can get to the NCAA tournament. After that (laughs) happens, I suddenly look and say, you know, Michigan State has, it's got that win at Duke. A couple of blue bloods, and it's 12-9. and Who's got the better NCAA tournament resume as of right now? You know, would either be in the field? I wouldn't put either in the field, but... I think I would have Michigan State ahead of Duke right now, and I think you would have Duke ahead of Michigan State. I would have Duke easily, easily, ahead Mich- easily ahead of Michigan State. Easily, okay. I, I think they're just they're just better. They're two and three in quadrant one. Michigan State's three and eight. Duke is four and four in quadrant two. That's not great, but Michigan State's three and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll bottom line it this way: Duke is six and seven in the first two quadrants with one additional Q three loss that came at Miami. Michigan State is six and nine, three games below five hundred in the first two quadrants, but they do have zero additional losses. Um, Duke's better computer numbers. I just think I don't I don't know how you could do any seed line right now. First four out, next four out, next four out, next four out, and have Michigan State ahead of Duke, even though I acknowledge Michigan State does have a win at Cameron Indoor. But I, I, um, as you know, uh, th- that is never as big of a factor with the committee yes. as some fans like to think it should be. I agree with you, and um, single result outcomes should almost never be the deciding factor. But if they get really, really close to the fact that Michigan State has a road win against Duke, I think if they wind up both being near that cut line, maybe that's the deciding factor. Who knows? Um, The metrics are in favor of Duke uh, with the exception of two of them. This is why this is totally interesting to me. So Michigan State, first of all, it's it's just roiling at 75 in the net right now. Duke's at 48. But Michigan State in strength of record is 47. Duke is... That's Duke is 60. That's a results-based metric based on who you played compared to the rest of the sport, how you've done against your schedule versus what the average team would do. Michigan State's done much better against his schedule than Duke has. In Sagarin, Duke is... That's eh, 22. Okay, it's better than Michigan State. Michigan State's 38 in Sagarin. In wins above bubble, Michigan State's way better than Duke right now. According to Torvik right now, again, these are not teams we would put in the field, but for the purposes of who they're coached by, their overall relevance... Michigan State is 51. Duke is 66. I think it's pretty close. I actually think I would put Michigan State by a very narrow margin. To you, you don't even think it's close. I happen to think that it's close. Now, a lot of Michigan State's losses are against really good competition. If we want to, you know, and this I think is an important part of when we discuss these kind of things. Outside of just saying their records inside the quadrants, it's also a matter of, uh, you know, the circumstances of those wins and losses. So Michigan State can hang its hat in the good. Um, a win at Duke, which could matter. Home against Rutgers at Indiana, which is trying to fight to get into the field. And then the win over Illinois, obviously, was downright needed. Uh, and I don't think Michigan State's going to the NCAA tournament. But that's what, it, that's what it needs. Bad losses, what does it have? It's got at Northwestern. Then what? Nothing. There's no bad loss after that. You could say at Minnesota? Home against Purdue, home against Wisconsin, home against Iowa. Those aren't bad losses. They're not wanted losses, but they aren't bad losses. Duke, meantime, fascinating situation. Obviously has the home loss to Michigan State. Uh, Has a home loss against Illinois. Michigan State has a home win against Illinois. Um, It has a loss against Pitt on the road. Eh, Terrible loss against Miami. If he lost against Notre Dame at home, what can it hang its hat on? What it just did over the weekend. Beat Virginia, that's a big one. Has a win over Clemson, which is important. And then Syracuse is going the wrong way. This, I think, GP, I think this is just totally a matter of, um, you know, when you look at a piece of art, granted these are a couple of ugly pieces of art, what do you see, what sticks out to you? And you like Duke here. I would lean, uh, you like 11 and 8 Duke. I would, I would very, very narrowly lean 12 and 9 Michigan State as we, as we sit here. I'm going to maintain, by the way, and I'll, I'll eat crow on this, I'm sure. I don't think either of these teams are going to the NCAA tournament. I think they're both going to wind up missing out and being in that first four out. Well, the, the main thing I'm reminded of as we're talking through this is that 
as we go through a season, it's a whole bunch of games. Not as many this season as normally. But when you start talking about bubble teams, it really does come down to one game sometimes. I mean, it's really just like if Duke doesn't have that loss to Miami, they're probably in the field right now. You know? I would agree. It, it, it's really just like these – if Duke beats Michigan State instead of loses to Michigan State, it's probably in the field right now. Um, it, it, it really does come down to these – you know, in, in, in baseball is the same way. Sometimes, you know, people are like, ah, it's just one out of 162. It's long. Sometimes it really does. You finish one game back, you know, of a wild card. And so, you know, when coaches get into their cliches and start saying things like, you know, you got to take it one game at a time and play every game. The next game is the most important game. Like there is some real truth to you cannot afford. Like if you're at the top of the sport, you can afford whatever but if you're going to end up on the bubble your flawed resume is going to be matched up with other flawed resumes and if you can flip one result from december november whenever it often is the thing that could get you on the right side of the bubble as opposed to keep you on the on the wrong side of the bubble Uh, with duke well let me ask you this okay we always um we we know that the committee actually considers what you are with the player. In other words, you didn't have a player for the first six weeks of the season, but then he's uh, then he's on your roster, and he's your second leading scorer, and you're clearly a different team with this player than than without that player. Can it work the other way? Can Duke make the case and say, "Hey, we we got rid of that Jalen Johnson character. Look at us. We're a different team. We're five and eight with that guy. We're six and zero without him. Evaluate us on." Our Jalen Johnson-less roster. Nope. I don't think that's so. not going to fly. That's not going to – but it, listen, it, it is interesting. And let me also be clear. I know I'm in the minority with my current opinion. Um, more bracket forecasts have Duke in a, a better spot than Michigan State, and I think that's reasonable. I'm just relying more on the uh, the slightly more empirical – strength of record, wins above bubble viewpoint, which says that Michigan State has done better against its schedule than Duke has, and I think a little bit more weight should be put into that. Um, But as we record this podcast, uh, Torvik's forecast has Michigan State with a 6.6% chance to get into the tournament, and Duke is much, much, much healthier. I think that's because of the competition it will face. He's got got Duke at 58.5%, so more likely right now than not. But having said that, you have to beat Louisville at home. You got to be Louisville yeah. at home this weekend. Has to happen. My, yeah, my conversation starts with assuming they beat Louisville at home, and that's not a safe assumption. I mean, they're going to be favored to win the game. They should win the game, but you know they've lost they've lost games this season that they sh- that they should have won. So it won't be crazy if they do it again. Um, I do think uh, for the purposes of context, this is important to note. Right now, Indiana is the last team in Jerry Palm's film, uh, field, and Indiana's eight and nine in the first two quadrants with one Q three loss. So that, like, that's not much different than what Duke is right now. Six and seven in the first two quadrants with one Q3 loss. Th- th- that's Duke. Indiana, eight and nine, first two quadrants, one additional loss. Indiana plays at Rutgers tonight. Huge. That's a Q1 oper- huge game. Huge. Quad uh, one, as quad bubbly one as it gets, yes. Quad one opportunity. Rutgers listed as a three-and-a-half point favorite. But my point is, um, let's just assume the these next the, the Indiana's next game and Duke's next game go exactly the way they're supposed to go. Indiana loss and a Duke win. Duke will be seven and seven in the first two quadrants come Saturday night. Indiana would then be eight and 10 in the first two quadrants. They both got a Q3 loss. I think Duke suddenly then has a better resume than Indiana and Duke, you know, I've I've said it. I think Duke's in the projected field come Sunday. If it wins um, this weekend against Louisville, then I think you got to split next week at Georgia Tech and at North Carolina to feel, to, you know, to be on the right side of things entering the ACC tournament. You got to split them. I don't think you got to win both of them. Georgia Tech just blasted Virginia Tech, but you, you probably got to split those road games. You touched on it. This is the biggest thing working against Michigan State. It's not that Michigan State doesn't, isn't, quote, close or doesn't have a path. It's just that the path is in, almost impossible. I mean, it's not, a, you know what I mean. It's difficult. Thursday, Ohio State at home. Sunday at Maryland, next Tuesday against Indiana at home, next Thursday at Michigan, two Sundays from now versus Michigan at home. They're projected to be underdogs in every one of those games. So, like, they 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 control, like, if you wanted to, you know, be positive, Michigan State controls its own destiny. Like, that is true. They win all those games. They're going to be on the field. Who's winning all those games? Outside of Baylor, of course. Outside of Baylor, exactly. That's too much. They're just not going to be much. Able, it's too much. It's too too. Tall, too tall a hill to climb, unfortunately. Yeah. 
By the way, right. Um, just as since you're mentioning that, real quick, just a heads up, because we're not we're like we're into that space parish, and you you know this is kind of outside what you do with the top twenty five and one because these teams aren't in there, but like these games for bubble teams have high significance. So like. UNC hosts Marquette Wednesday night. Roy Williams actually going for win number 900. Like, Carolina can't lose that game. Got to win that game at home. Seton Hall has to win on the road against Butler at Wednesday night. Xavier probably has to win on the road against Providence. We mentioned the Indiana-Rutgers game. The loser of that one is not out of a hole they can't dig out of, but just that's, it's, it's I don't know, that's that's very, very compelling. Um, those are ones to watch for Wednesday. Uh Thursday, like Colorado, not really a total bubble team, but if it can beat USC, that's a big one. Um, so just keep keep it. You know, Boise State, San Diego State's a, a fairly big Mountain West game on uh, on when on Thursday night as well. And we'll get anything that's relevant. We'll touch on the Friday podcast. But we have now hit the point there. We're like, you know, Palms updating his his bracket daily, his bubble watch. You know, if you're not already aware, like CBS Sports app, all this stuff, we have it updated for you daily about uh, tournament forecasts and all that all that good stuff. So. Uh, so keep an eye out on that because these games take on even more urgency than they normally would this year because of the reduced game inventory. So as it as logic would dictate, if you have, you know, four, six, eight fewer games in a season than you normally would have, then every result means it just carries that much more weight. And so that's why these bubble games, at least for me, as I've been tracking at Parrish, I've just found them to be uh, just more, just that much more urgent and, and relevant this season. When you have fewer games, the games mean more. There we go. That's right. Put that in a Rostein tweet for me. <laughs> no, actually, I think you're going to send that tonight. You're going to send it uh, after after Rutgers Indiana goes final. You're going to you're going to tag it. All right. Drop I'm that probably tag. Not. I'm just probably come on, just drop the- drop a little Rostein tag. What's the harm? I'm going to be in the. I'm I'm going to be on the green egg. Again. You're going to be on the green egg again. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I can't do that two nights in a row. It's a lot going on. My kids try to burn my computer. Feels like a lot of work, by the way. I debated a green egg like you know three, four years ago. For those people that might be unaware, a big green egg is is basically like a just a big old smoker grill kind of deal. You can cook anything you want on it, but it feels like it feels like you got to get some work going into the, getting that thing hot, though. No, I've got a blowtorch. Okay, I I blowtorch it. Okay, that's how I started. I just blowtorch it for like two minutes, and it starts. It's not. It's not difficult I, at is all. That, is that what they? Is that how they advise you to get that thing rolling? I saw it on YouTube. Okay. Guy was lighting this green egg with a blowtorch, and next thing you know, I was ordering a blowtorch off Amazon. Did that? Is, is the genesis of that whole thing where like you buy a green egg and then you read through it and you see like to get that thing really smoking how you want it to go? It might be like a 30, 40 minute process. You're like, I can't do. I can't do this. There's got to be an. Well, it was. Way. I had an electric starter. And here's the problem. <laughs> I'm always all over the place. So it's like you put the electric starter in there and it works fine, but you got to run a, you know, you got to run a, you got to plug it in somewhere and then it, it just wires that I don't like wires. So now I'm staring at wires. And then like about every four or five times I put the electric starter in there and get distracted. Next thing you know, I've melted my electric starter. <laughs> you you got to take it out at some point. And so uh, I was like, okay, what, what's a, what's a better option? And I found a blowtorch. So now I, I, but then you have to dis, you have to, I have to disable my blowtorch and, and, and put the propane tank and the actual torching element. I have to put them in two different places. I have to take the torching element up to my office. Otherwise, my kids will be blowtorching things. Of course they will. They tried to burn my computer with a marshmallow. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of stuff, but I will tell you this if you're considering getting a green egg, the first thing you're going to notice is the price. And you're going to go, I, I, it's crazy to pay this much money for a grill. When you get it, you will not regret it. You will not regret paying that much money for that grill. Once you have the grill, it, it'll, it'll, it'll seem wild at first. It'll make you hesitate. But once you get it, you won't regret it. It's a little bit like Fernando Tatis. The big green egg is a little bit like Fernando Tatis. It looks expensive, but once you get it, you're glad you got it. <laughs> you don't regret paying the money. <laughs> Am I the first person to ever compare Fernando you, Tatis Jr. to a green egg? You are, without question, the first person to do that. And I'm not sure the analogy holds up under uh, severe Here's scrutiny. The thing. If that was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Fernando Tatis Jr. becomes the big green egg of Major League Baseball throughout the rest of his 20s. The Padres will never regret paying him $340 million. Similarly... Because the big green egg is the big green egg of grilling. Once you have it, you do not regret paying the price that you paid for it. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the big green egg of Major League Baseball. Let me tweet that real quick. 
Do it. Do it right now. No context. Do it. <laughs> not gonna. Why do won't it. you like? Uh, you should just like just. And then when people finally listen, they're like, "Oh, okay, gotcha." But no, you won't. You won't live life on the edge like that. You won't be now, a little. You goofy. tweet it. You tweet that Fernando Tatis Jr. See, here's the thing. I'm not afraid to watch. I'm not afraid <laughs> to do it. It's the big green egg of baseball. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. It's it's Jr. Right? Yeah, he's Fernando Tatis Jr. And T A T I S, right? T A T I S. T A T I S. Okay. Is this how? We, okay. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the big green egg of Major League Baseball. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm just going to send this tweet out into the world. Okay. <laughs> you won't even do it. You're a coward. Uh, you're, you're a coward. You're being disrespectful to the group. Are you family. a chicken? You're I'll do a it. chicken. You're a chicken. How many, he, I'm he, gonna, he really is, though. <laughs> he really here's is, a, though, when you think thought. about it. Here's when you thought. think through it, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the big green egg of Major League right, Baseball. It's been, been said. Okay. Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again. Middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. This one's crazy, Norlander. Now they got all these variants. You tell me I got to worry about a variant now? Get out of my face. No one's going to know what the hell I'm talking about. But they're going to finally get to this podcast and they're going to realize what happened. It's it, I, that's 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 a that's a big green easter egg for the pod. Get out of my face with these stupid variants. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. And either way, we're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care. Got to scoot in one more read before the pod is over. Paramount Plus launching March 4th. Live sports, breaking news, a mountain of entertainment, hundreds of iconic movies, original series like Star Trek Picard, The Good Fight, The Stand, hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Smithsonian Channel, Comedy Central, all on Paramount Plus. Live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. Start streaming Paramount Plus March 4th. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.